Up World. It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. If this is your first Mailbag Monday, welcome, or if this is your one millionth, also welcome. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it or indicate it in some way that it is a Mailbag Monday question. Or watch the skies Monday morning around 9 a.m. Pacific time. I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can also email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Send me a note there. I'll get you in the show. So that's the two ways to get involved. Like I said, we do Mailbag Monday each week. I record it Monday, post it on Tuesdays. Rain, sleet, or shine, it comes at you. And just as a caveat, as a sort of explanation for the timeline here, I'm recording this after the Blazers beat the Lakers, a a really impressive win. So the timbre of the questions are a little bit negative because all of them came in in the morning prior to this game. Um, And so I'm going to try to keep it positive, but the vibes coming off a lot of the questions in today's show are the Blazers are in trouble. And I feel like if we had, if the uh, mailbag had been switched up a little bit, the vibes would have been different. Speaking of those vibes, first question comes from Blazers legend, the ghost of Anderson Verschau at Snacksketball on, at Snacksketball on Twitter, who asks Blazers in four in the finals or gentlemen sweep? So the context here is that Snacksketball, after the Blazers got rolled by the Utah Jazz in Game 1, reached out to me on Twitter and basically said, "I this team stinks. I They're bumming me out. I, I, I'm really, really down on this team. Please give me a reason to be hopeful. And then a week later, the Blazers gave us a reason to be hopeful, gave Snacksketball a reason to be hopeful, and uh, the, the, the pitch has changed. So I, I wanted to lead with that because... Not everyone got to redo their questions. Um, listen, uh, the Blazers look good. This was the against LA. This is the most balanced they've been. Mello didn't play. Did that have something to do with it? We'll talk about that later in the episode. But uh, Gary Trent Jr. was awesome, bouncing back from playing really limited minutes against the Houston Rockets. Dame brought the Blazers home with 20 points in the second half. Uh, the bench was was really solid and balanced. The 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 Blazers forwards with uh, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. provided a real lift defensively. Uh, Nurk came in and made some crucial plays down the stretch. This is just a a really balanced, really solid win. So yeah, I'll say Blazers sweep the finals, no problem. Next question comes from Farmer Dave, who asks, if you were the coach, what would you do to improve the second unit? Is there a rotation change or two that that could bolster the defense and chemistry? It seems like a puzzle that has a solution, which is somehow elusive yet obvious, and I need you to tell us what it is. So I I posed this in my most recent episode that I posted. uh, I'm going to point you to this a lot, because many of you asked about James Harden, and and I did basically a whole show about James Harden. It's in your feeds. It's called Let's Talk About the James Harden Rumors. I posted it on December 27th. Uh, So... But included in that show, I talked about kind of maybe what I would do with the Blazers. If Rodney Hood was healthy, I would be I would be very much into starting Rodney Hood in place of Derek Jones Jr., adding Derek Jones Jr. to that second unit. I think he provides a little better defense, a little more athleticism, a little less um, 
interest in playing isolation isolation basketball that would be my big solution uh the other sort of problem the elephant in the room is that the Blazers looked really good and really useful without Carmelo Anthony who did not play against the Lakers he is in what they the team is calling health and safety protocols it seems like when the Blazers have guys that are dealing with health and safety protocols we're not going to get any information about them so we just have to guess um I think that's a bad idea. Like I understand the need for privacy and I, and I respect um, adults decision to have their medical information, um, you know, be their choice, what they share. But uh, when a dude breaks his leg, we hear about it. So it's not all of their medical information. It's, it's like, it's this specific thing. Uh, so we're left to sort of guess what the deal is with Melo, but he was not, he did not travel with the team to LA remains to be seen if he will join them on the rest of this trip, or if he's in more extended quarantine, the team's not going to talk about it. We're just going to have to guess, but the balance looked better without, without him on the court. The minutes made more sense without him on the court. It's just, um, it is a problem that the Blazers will have going forward. But my solution would be when it's viable, maybe at the end of January, start Rodney Hood, move Derek Jones Jr. to the bench. Next question comes from Jesse, who actually asked several questions here, and we'll get to all of them. Jesse asks, you mentioned Nurk has looked gassed. I know he missed out on preseason, but I thought he also looked gassed during the Lakers series. I haven't seen much of Nurk pre-injury. Is this normal form, or is it due to playing against superior players like Gobert and Anthony Davis? Could this warrant more Harry Giles playing time? You also mentioned that he is our third best player. Our, shout out to collective pronouns, do you still think that? He's been turning it over a lot with some questionable passes, has been out-rebounded and outscored by both Christian Wood and Rudy Gobert. If he's still the th- Blazers' third best player, are we, collective pronoun, in trouble? Yeah, I mean, Nurk, when he was in the bubble, hadn't played basketball in 15 months, and so he was playing way more minutes than was reasonable for a guy who hadn't played basketball in 15 months. He wa- he showed up out of shape, admittedly, said he's about 70% conditioning, like he just is what he is, but he's... um thought he was much better against the Lakers, but in the first two games, really sloppy, just kind of playing like a guy who maybe doesn't have his wind. When you, when your body is tired, your mind is tired. Um, it just, it, it's hard for your brain to keep up with tired, tired bones and muscles. So, you know, his decision-making is wonky because he's just, he's out of shape. It's what happens. You get loose with the ball. You turn the ball over when you're, when you're out of shape. Uh, long season, not worried. It'd be better if he wasn't playing like that. Um, he's still the Blazers' third best player. Yes. Uh, what? Nothing. I, I am. I am really slow on these things. I'm more in the in the Terry Stotts world. I'm not. I'm not going to panic and put in Harry Giles, a guy who just doesn't have a track record of proving himself. Um, you just gotta let Nurk work through it. He's a good player, but he hasn't been good. He, no doubt about it. Till this Laker game, I'm telling you. The whole pitch would have changed this episode if we got questions at, you know, 9.30 Monday night. Next one from Jesse. You mentioned that Robert Covington doesn't seem comfortable or like he's fitting in with the offense currently and is not getting enough shots. He only went one for four against the Rockets. What do you think is is the issue and the solution? And do you see it getting better anytime soon? Or should I just drop him from my fantasy team? I would get rid of him from your fantasy team. He's going to be a low usage guy, not a ton of assists. Unless you're in one of those leagues, I don't really know how all fantasy basketball leagues work that really prioritizes steals and blocks. 
Um, I'm, I don't think he's a, a, a big fantasy producer type. Uh, he missed a bunch of wide open threes against the Lakers. Three just absolutely unguarded practice level three pointers that he bricked, but he was great in other aspects. Uh, he was better attacking the rim in this game, had two nice, uh, one drive that he finished with the layup, another with a dunk. Uh, he's, he'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. He's, he's not going to get a bunch of shots. He's not going to be a volume guy. Um, and he's capable of doing that. He's the rhythm guitar player. Don't you recall? I'm not super worried about Covington yet, much like Nurk. I think he's a good basketball player that will figure it out. Um, I don't ever think he's going to be a volume guy from three. It would be nice to see him make the wide open three pointers, but um, he's just going to have limited chances. And against the Lakers, he was much, 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 much better with his limited chances, despite bricking three easy ones. Next question comes from Ari, who asks, assuming full health and playoff contention, who will be playing more minutes come February? For our, all caps, Portland Trailblazers. Well done, Ari. Zach Collins or Carmelo Anthony? Um, whew, I, I want to say Zach Collins, cause I think it'd be a better choice, but I kind of think Carmelo Anthony, because that's the way the team is constructed. Um, I'll go mellow, but I'm, I'm, I'm hedging. I'm not, I'm not super confident. Next question comes from Micah Sanders at Micah 718 on Twitter, who asks, I could foresee a world in which, unless they play above expectations, Ant, that's Anthony Simons, and Ennis Cantor don't get minutes by some time in February, assuming Zach comes back healthy. If Terry really wants to play nine and Melo needs to play, that seems like it could be in the mix. Thoughts? Yeah, that's like a really, really reasonable thing. Ennis Cantor is a bad defensive player who can sometimes be capable, but he is an elite offensive presence. So Zach would have to be such a big enough upgrade and such a necessary up upgrade on defense that he would... Um, that he would negate some of Cantor's offensive abilities because Cantor for all his faults, like the dude can score. He's a elite offensive rebounder. He's just, he's just a really, really, really good offensive player. But I think Micah, that's a really reasonable solution. I don't think Ant should be in the rotation right now, period. Um, you know, let him earn it, maybe give him spot minutes here and there, but the Blazers don't, they just Right now they can they can go with nine guys and not play Ant. He did play in the first half against the Lakers, but not in the second half. And I think it's it's totally fine. Like I think I think you can get away with it. Next question comes from the vegan mindset coach. That's at mindset vegan on Twitter. And Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka28, who both ask, Why didn't Gary Trent play more against the Houston Rockets? Also, Luke from from Gmail also basically Luke sent a long a long email that that I'm I've boiled down into group together with these three questions. Vegan mindset coach also added is is a, is it a sign that Gary Trent's getting traded? I need everyone to chill out on the conspiracy theories. When a player does not play in game 2 of the season, it's because the coach chose that route. And let me be clear, that was a bad, bad choice by Terry Stotts. But this is not some sort of larger conspiracy. I know that Raphael Stone, the Rockets GM, was pictured chatting with Neil Olshay of the Portland Trailblazers, their, their president of basketball operations. I know these are the two top decision makers and that Raphael Stone has the biggest trade chip in the league playing on his team and James Harden and the, and the Blazers have been linked to him. But let me tell y'all, let me let y'all in on a little secret. GMs talk before every game. But executives, if you're into the gym, like in a normal non-COVID times and you're in a full gym prior to the game, not just the GMs will be chatting, all types of lower level execs will be chatting. They're picking each other's brains. They're talking about the league and the job and everything. It is not uncommon. 
That said, Gary Trent Jr. absolutely balling against the Lakers. Should have played more against the Rockets. I think Stotts just wanted to get another guy who could do a little more off the bounce, like a little more dribble, dribble drive offense. And Simons offers that in theory. And Simons wasn't bad against Houston by any means. But Gary Trent Jr. is too good to play just six minutes. Um, he was hit seven threes, matches career high with 28 points against the Lakers. He needs to play more. He's too good to leave on the bench. It was great to see him bounce back. There isn't some conspiracy. This isn't... Um, Stotts just did something dumb against Houston. It happens. Coaches make mistakes. He went one way. The Blazers won the game. It wasn't a big deal, but it was the wrong choice. Uh, it, It is what it is. All right, in the second segment, let's answer more of your questions. I got a whole bunch of them. I'm going to bring them to you. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. Look... Sports are here, y'all. College football's heating up. We got we're heading to the to bowl season, championship championship season, college football, NFL playoffs coming at you in a couple weeks, NBA season in full swing. And if you are looking for an online sports book, there's only one place that has you covered, and only one place we trust. That's BetOnline.ag, the official online sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Look, the Blazers just beat the Lakers. It's time to get to the sports books and bet a future, put some future money down on the Lakers, on the Blazers winning the championship. And there's only one place to do that. It's going to be betonline.ag. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on that action. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Shout out to Dre Slaps, who provides the music for Locked On Blazers. You can find a link to all of Dre's work in the episode description for this episode. Check it out. Buy some merch, get some music. Support local artists. Speaking of stuff to support, why don't you support the new show Locked on Bets? Betting on the Blazers doesn't have to be a guessing game because if you listen to new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, you'll get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. So subscribe to Locked On Bets podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Money. This next question comes from Hayden Tompkins at imripcity07 on Twitter, who asks, did the Blazers make some sort of agreement with Melo to give him full reins of the offense with a second unit? The constant post-ups and isos are killing me and the team. Dang, that's tough, Hayden. I'm sorry that Melo... Jab stepping from 17 feet was your demise, but um, buckle in, buckle in, because I just, listen, against the Lakers, the Blazers were better without Melo on the court, and that's going to be a problem. However, the last year when they when they brought Melo in and let him play a whole bunch, they needed him. But part of the, like, why Melo enjoyed being here and liked the situation in Portland and, and became such um, so fond of the franchise is because they let him be, they let Mello be Mello. And part of the deal with him coming back wasn't that he was going to have to drastically change that. 
I think some of it, some of it has to come. The push and pull has to come where Mello recognizes it. And I'm, I'm hoping that there is a maturity level from him where he can pick his spots more. I thought he forced his offense way too much in those first two games and he was bad. But the Blazers didn't make some deal with him. They treat him the exact same last year. It's just now they have different parts who are better. Like, they're going to let... Stotts kind of lets guys do what they do. He's not... Um, He's not super strict, particularly with that second unit about what they run. He's He wants guys to read and react and just play off each other to, to some extent. He'll call plays, but um, those plays break down. And then you kind of just got to play basketball using the team concepts. And Melo is often just breaks the playoff and goes to work in the post and takes bad, bad shots. Uh, they have to, they've got to come to an understanding with him that he can that he needs to pick his spots to do that. So I don't think anything specifically changed this offseason. I don't think they made any deal with him to coax him back. They said, "You know how you played last year? You're going to do we love that. We love that. It was valuable to us. We lo- we want more of that. We just want you to play 20 minutes off the bench as opposed to 33 minutes a night in the starting lineup." This this is the exact same thing that, you know, Melo in some ways saved the Blazers season last year by making them competent and hitting big shots in the bubble. And this is that same guy. He just hasn't looked good in the first two games. Next question comes from Patrick Gallagher, P Gallagher 503, who says, who asks rather, you touched on the Blazers using different defensive schemes. When, what, why are the, are they appropriate? are the appropriate ways to use them? And what are the goals of the difference of defensive schemes? So yeah, the Blazers are using, at least against the Rockets, they use a bunch of different stuff. They probably won't play much zone against um, non-Houston teams. Uh, it's You can play, they, they've they deployed the zone against James Harden specifically because he's going to pound the rock and be so isolation heavy that you kind of just use your zone concepts to have four guys helping towards him and then make the others beat you. Uh, they probably won't deploy the zone as much against other teams because other teams aren't just, they aren't just as isolation isolation heavy, excuse me, and they aren't as sort of singular as, as Harden is. Um, then I guess the difference is like, when do you drop in pick and rolls and when do you kind of show in pick and rolls? I, it kind of depends on what, how the other team is playing you and whether either the ball handler or the screen man is a shooter, I guess would be the two different ways to do it. But the, the reason that you drop on pick and rolls is because maybe neither of the, the people involved in the screen action are, are shooting threats and you can kind of keep them in front of you and play more, a more conservative, uh, baiting them into taking a tough mid range jumper versus when you come up higher on, on stuff, maybe both guys are good shooters and, 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 you really want to get the ball out of the guard's hands, get it into the big man's hands and make him make decisions. Um, I think you do that with maybe um, less skilled bigs, but increasingly people who set screens and roll in the league are skilled. So you kind of got to, it's maybe not one, one style works against everybody. It's, it's why you would mix it up, show them three different defensive looks and three different trips. Uh, I don't think they're going to play a ton of zone though, Patrick. I think it's mostly drop versus showing on screens is where where you really and how how far you help on the weak side is basically the biggest differences. Next question comes from Thomas Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter who asks, when do we see Giles in the rotation? When Ennis Cantor is out of the lineup. Cantor is a limited defensive player, sometimes a very bad defensive player, but he's an elite offensive force. And I'm not sure that Harry Giles brings enough 
boost on the defensive end to um, to have that switch be necessary. And maybe you're saying, well, Giles should play over Carmelo Anthony, and you might be right or whatever, but that's not going to happen. So if if the question is like when should Giles play I I don't really know but when will he play he'll play when one of the other centers isn't healthy that's that's when we see him he's on the outside of the rotation I was trying to tell y'all all preseason that he's on the outside of the rotation and he's on the outside of the rotation now that we're in the regular season so sit tight he's got that real backup quarterback syndrome he'll get his chance and maybe he'll prove that he's Tom Brady or he'll prove that he's Drew Hansen we'll figure it out Next question comes from PD Freak and Normal at Bob underscore Deeger on Twitter, who asks, with Mello out for an undetermined amount of time, who on the bench would benefit most from the team by absorbing his minutes? Well, I believe it's Gary Trent Jr., the son of Gary Trent. Seems like he benefited a whole lot from not just more minutes, but more touches, more getting more offense run through him on that second unit. I also thought Rodney Hood looked great. This is the best game Rodney Hood played all year. Uh, that might just be healthier and healthier every minute he plays, more comfortable every minute he plays. But it also might have been a little more because there weren't so many shots and so many touches going to Mello, just more chances for him to go get his stuff. Um, Hood. This is a really good Rodney Hood game. He looked really good. Next question comes from Jesse, who asks, is Melo out due to COVID or with an issue with the team? Uh, I mean, it's like I said, they're not going to tell us. So it's COVID. It's COVID related. It's, it's health and safety protocols, but it's unclear. It seems to me just so like if Melo had tested positive for COVID, then all of his teammates and all the Houston Rockets who played in a game with him the previous day would be under quarantine or contact tracing and have to be out, right? Like they would have to cancel some games. So my assumption is that Melo, and again, the team isn't going to tell us this and doing some, I feel, I do feel somewhat bad about speculating here, but this is what we're kind of left with to, to explain it for me to explain it to you best I can is that someone in Mellow circle tested positive or was around someone who tested positive. So he's out for contact tracing. Like that's, that's why he would be out for health and safety protocols and not any of his, the rest of his teammates is that a person in his family or his, or his, who lives with him, um, is caused him to be in health and safety protocols. Jesse continues. Um, I ask because his split from Houston was in similar fashion. Another conspiracy theory, two games into the season, everyone chill. Everyone chill. Just everyone. T- uh, if you're listening to this podcast by yourself or in a place where you can do this, I want you, everyone, just take a a deep breath with me. Because it's cool. It's cool. They played bad against the Jazz. They didn't look good against the Rockets, but it's a long season. We got we have a really nice number of games left, and we've got a long way to go. It's too it's too early for the conspiracies. Jesse asked, and I actually think this is thinking outside the box. So I, I was teasing you a little bit, Jesse, because I know you're a longtime Mellow fan who's who's worried that is that the Blazers as stewards of his legacy will maybe screw it up or maybe he'll screw it up or whatever. You're, you just you're you're worst case scenarioing this. Um, but you but Jesse does offer the idea that uh, perhaps Mellow could start in place of Derek Jones Jr. So Mellow at the four and slide coming to down to the three. I don't I don't hate that as a solution for Mellow. It's just. I don't know if it's who, like, I think it's more about how much Mellow plays, period. Like, I think you just got to knock Mellow down from 20 to 15. Like, let's start there. How about 50, two seven-minute shifts as opposed to him being the longest guy who gets the longest uh, run of anyone off the bench? 
uh, I I'm not I do like the the idea of him of him starting as a way to sort of um, rein him in a little bit, but um, I think it's just overall minutes more than minutes allocation. Uh, he wouldn't be the guy I put in the starting lineup. I'm I'm a wait till Rodney Hood's healthy solution guy, but I do Jesse. I commend you for thinking outside the box. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, Considering the universal praise for the Blazers offseason, could we realistically see Stotts' job in jeopardy if this team is really as bad as they've looked early on? Oh no! They look good now! Now they're champions! Oh no! Um, I do think... Uh, for the first time since they got swept by the Pelicans that Terry Stotts' job could be in realistic jeopardy. Um, mostly just because the team has a lot of parts and when Zach Collins comes back and assuming that he's healthy, you're looking at uh, 11 dudes each night who can play and I've said this a bunch, like what coaches decide is who plays and when. So if the Blazers are are bad and they have 11 NBA-level contributors, if, if you include Anthony Simons in that mix... <laughs> Um, then the person who's going to get blamed is Terry Stotts. And if they struggle to me, um, it would be a f- like, I'm, I'm usually like always give coaches a longer leash or whatever, but it is, it is what it is. Like if, if, if this team is bad, I think Terry could be in trouble just because it, this is a, this is a better roster than he's had to work with in a while. And if this roster were to struggle, it's just like, listen, this you have to try something new you might need a new a change of uh of leadership in that way that said uh nothing about the way the blazers ownership has acted makes me think that they'll fire a coach making reportedly seven million dollars according to jason quick of the athletic are they really going to pay terry stotts you know six million dollars to not coach and then seven million dollars next year to not coach plus pay another coach i have a hard time seeing that one All right, in the second segment, excuse me, third segment, let's close out the show with more of your questions on this Mailbag Monday. But before we do that, we got to talk about Bilt Bar. Y'all know Bilt Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. And if you don't know Bilt Bar, well, guess what? It's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's what they're doing over there at Bilt Bar. They're making 18 flavors of delicious bars. Lemon almond cheesecake, German chocolate, mint brownie, salted caramel, orange. Toffee almond, coconut, all of them delicious, all of them nutritious. I'm talking low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great for the keto diet. Trying to maintain ketosis? Grab a built bar. Get yourself some of these bars. They're delicious. I like them. I've been talking about built bars forever. I've been eating them forever, it seems like, too. Get yourself some of these bars. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-D-O-N, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. And still isn't a locked on Blazers. On tomorrow's show... Jason Quick of The Athletic is joining me on the program to talk about this team. No one has covered the Trailblazers longer or better than Jason Quick. So if you are someone who usually listens to the mailbag show and then maybe checks in later in the week or comes back for the next mailbag, don't do that. Come back for this show. You're going to want to hear Jason talking about this team. There just aren't many people in the world who know the Trailblazers like he does. All right. 
let's let's finish this show. We got some more questions, some fun ones. Let's wrap up Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Corvid19 at Metamachasa. Mm, probably got that one wrong. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna tack that one up to third segment blues. But Corvid19 asks, what pattern on offense defense will make you start to feel like things are clicking for this team and can be a cause for optimism? What are you looking for? Well, shit, if the Blazers beat the Lakers, I'll think that they're on the right track. Um, like I said, timbre of all these questions would have really changed if we just asked them 12 and a half hours later or so. Um, defensively, I'm not sure this team's going to be elite, but some timely, timely defense. I thought uh, Derek Jones Jr. did a really good job guarding LeBron. I thought Robert Covington was just an elite, elite help defender. I thought Cantor was a totally competent, albeit um, occasionally overmatched defensive player. Uh, they were competitive on defense. Um, like the pattern is maybe just like some, some like low level competence, not getting absolutely torched. Uh, it's hard to say, like watching a team guard James Harden, he's just so good at scoring that it's hard. It's hard to be like, man, they stink or like, well, maybe he's just impossible to guard. Uh, the jazz game was obviously a nightmare. So it's hard to take away from that, but they looked better against the Lakers. Anthony Davis did not look healthy. So this wasn't the full strength Lakers, but that was, it was a step in the right direction defensively and offensively. They just had so much more balance. Um, I was watching this game and I was kind of just joking out loud um, that like the Blazers would be better if they had a couple two pass possessions. And of course, with that, particularly with that second unit in the game, they make a second pass. They're getting cleaner looks. It's just on offense, just simple stuff like um, not breaking off actions right away or uh just moving the ball a second time. I'm, they don't need to zip it around the perimeter and be the 2017 Warriors, but uh, a lot of possessions with zero passes um, w- make the offense look worse than it has to be. So those two things um, seem to be pointing in the right direction. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't ready to panic about this team. Like if you were listening to the recent podcast, um, even the one after the Rockets game that I posted on Sunday, like I'm not. I wasn't going to panic yet. They didn't look very good, but, um, you know, we'll give them five, six, seven games before you say this team stinks. Um, and game three, they beat the Lakers in LA. So, you know, championship or whatever, see there. Next questions come from Lewis. Lewis sent three questions. So we're going to move through these pretty quickly. The first one is, do you think that Giannis Antetokounmpo having considered the Blazers at one point holds at least an iota of significance? Uh, Lewis points out that other stars who've signed long-term deals have asked out before the final year of their contract, et cetera, et cetera. And is it likely that Antetokounmpo could do that and could end up um, on the Blazers at some point in the future? Absolutely. It's important that the Blazers are in the conversation. I don't know if it's, if it's meaningful, like in terms of indicating future events but for the Blazers to be sort of like on the radar of of some stars like like it seems like they may very very vaguely been for Giannis and sort of are for Harden it's important it's a, a place they haven't been so yeah it's a it's a big deal um let's let Giannis play like 10 games into this new contract which doesn't even kick in until next year before we start talking about him asking out though next one from Lewis with all the chatter surrounding the unavailability and possible future retirement of Brandon Roy's number seven where's the love for Arvidas Sabonis's number 11 I don't recall any outrage or controversy when it was given to Vladimir Stepania Serge Rodriguez, Luke Babbitt, Jamal Crawford, Myers Leonard, now Ennis Cantor. Okay, listen. 
the a lot of great players have played for the Blazers, and someone asked me a similar question about LaMarcus Aldridge. But the deal with Brandon Roy was not just his on-court ability, right? Like, it wasn't just that he played really well on the basketball court. It's that he was... He was the vocal and emotional leader of a team that sort of was in the in a dark space and he rescued them back and was this sort of the face of that push forward. Then he had these devastating injuries, so he became a tragic figure. And then he had beef with the franchise. Sabas was very good, but he was never the emotional leader of those teams in terms of like setting the tone in the press and things like that. Um, he was never even sort of like the emotional leader in terms of uh, on court getting guys in, in their spots that just, um, you know, he was getting Rashid Wallace thrown a towel in his face or whatever. Uh, it was it just wasn't like that. And, and Roy's stuff is more, it's more than the on-court stuff. It's, it's that it's, it's the rise and then the tragic fall and then the beef with the franchise. And that's why they didn't know what to do with the number. Cause they didn't want to have more beef and see more disrespectful. It has nothing. It is not because he is considered way better than Sabas or Lamarcus or Rashid Wallace. Like he's a, maybe appreciated more, but it has, it's, it's bigger than that. It's a wider lens. Next one from Lewis is, I know you and I consider Damian Lillard to be the best point guard in the NBA, but I feel like most of the league would still favor a healthy Steph Curry if given the choice. Um, basically, who would I pick? Um, yeah, so I don't think it's an insult when people say that Steph Curry is better than Damian Lillard. Steph Curry is a two-time MVP, the first ever unanimous MVP. Um, he has three championships. He's he in some ways changed the way we think about what a really dominant basketball player looks like. Uh, Damian Lord's probably the best point guard in the NBA, but being the second best when you're talking about Steph Curry, I don't think is particularly insulting. Certainly if Damian Lord had teammates like Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, he'd probably have some hardware too. So it's, I just don't find it. I don't find it insulting or interesting to debate who is who is the best. I kind of think it's Damian Lillard, um, but if if anyone has even the slightest feeling that it's Steph Curry, I accept. I accept it. It's fine. All right. Next question comes from Colin, who asks: Portland isn't getting any production from recent draft picks. First rounders, Simons, Collins, and Little aren't contributing. Do you attribute this to health, or are you concerned player development isn't where it needs to be? And if you say health, is it fair to criticize the training and medical staff? This is, uh, and Colin, in the early part of this question that kind of edited out, basically just said that ignoring Gary Trent Jr. for this purposes, um, who, if the Blazers really liked, they would have drafted him in the first round. I don't know if that's how that works to be honest, Colin, but, um, I don't think you can talk about player development and then ignore the, the player who's developed. It's, that seems unfair. Also, here's what I'll say though. Anthony Simons really underwhelming, probably got overhyped. Um, this was the, this was the year they should have, they should have let him have a guaranteed rotation spot to see if he could, he could crack it. Last year was a mistake and he wildly underperformed as one of the worst shooting guards in the league by some advanced metrics. Um, but the Blazers have a track record of having guys break out in year three. The problem was Zach Collins was supposed to have that breakout and then he got hurt. I don't know if you can blame the Blazers for him getting hurt. I mean, you can, but I wouldn't. And Nazir Little is um, a guy who I thought was a really, really long way away from being a pro when he came out of the, or like a starter, you know, rotation contributing pro when he came out of college. And then he's had this weird health issues to end his rookie um, 
his rookie campaign to begin his sophomore campaign. So, like, for Nazir Little and Simons, it's a little bit too early. This is a big year for Simons. For Zach Collins, he just can't get on the floor. He's under, he's unproven. You can say that that's a total swing and a miss, and I will accept that. But the idea that um, those guys are proof that the Blazers' like development group hasn't worked, I think is too early to say because if Nazir Little is good next year, isn't it proof that it works? If Anthony Simons turns into an NBA player by the end of this season, isn't it proof that it works? And if Collins is... If Collins isn't good and you get three out of four picks and Gary Trent Jr. or two out of three and Gary Trent Jr., um, aren't you doing a good job? Like the draft is kind of a crapshoot. To me, um, we're just too early. I mean, I, I, I understand your frustrations with the, with the young contributors. You'd like them to be, uh, to be ready early. But when you take teenagers who didn't play much college basketball like Nazir Little and Zach Collins or any college basketball like Anthony Simons, it's going to take time. And Zach, maybe clock's, clock's ticking, but the other two, I'm, I'm willing to be patient still. Next question comes from Def Jeff, who asks, Is it notable that James Harden is on the Blazers' list of destinations? Def Jeff, I'm going to cut you off right here. I talked all about this in the Let's Talk About the James Harden Rumors episode posted December 27th in your feed, the episode right before this one. But Def Jeff offers up a trade. It's it's James Harden and P.J. Tucker for C.J. McCollum, Zach Collins, Nazir Little, Anthony Simons, Ennis Cantor. And, and, and Def Jeff wonders, would this work, would this, would picks be needed as a flat no? You definitely need picks. The other issue here is that the Rockets would need to give back two other players to make this trade work, unless they're going to trade for Anis Cantor and cut him, and I guess cut Zach Collins, the only one with an expiring deal left on that list. That seems like a wild trade for them to do. I, I, so they'd have to give back two other players to make the rosters work. Um, and you'd have to give away picks and do, do the, the Rockets want five players and none of them are Gary Trent Jr. I, I, this trade seems bad to me, Def Jeff. I'm sorry, but, um, I talked a lot about James Harden and what deals might look like in that most recent episode in your feed posted December 27th. Check it out. Let's it's called, let's talk about the James Harden rumors. Next question comes from Tim who asks, I'm sure you watch Houston postgame with Dame. I did indeed. He Dame talks so much about his friendship and trust that him and CJ give each other on the court. Is there another backcourt that has this kind of chemistry currently? It reminds me of MJ and Pippen. This pair seems to make it impossible to get another star like Giannis Antetokounmpo in the lineup. So I don't think MJ and Pippen were homies. Like, I think you... Um, I think you should maybe, if you, I'm not sure how old you are, Tim, but there are some great books, um, including Roland, Lans, Roland Lansby's uh, biography of Michael Jordan that I read a couple years ago. I don't think him and Pippen were homies. think they got along on the court, but I don't think they were friends by any means. Um, yeah, like Damon CJ are really good pals, and maybe that does limit them in some ways because in the past they wouldn't have, the team wouldn't have traded CJ without... Um, because of him and Dame's relationship. And obviously that complicates things. If you do make a trade, Dame's going to be sad. But I just point to the, I point to the Raptors. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan were best friends. Um, the Raptors traded away DeMar DeRozan, who was at the time, I believe the franchise's leading scorer. He was like a, um, even a higher sort of figure than CJ is, higher standing figure than CJ is with the team. And you know what Kyle Lowry did? He won the damn championship. 
cemented his legacy as an all-time great Raptor. So I think friendship matters and all that stuff is important, but if a if the right trade comes along, Dame will be sad for a little bit, even mad for a long time, but he'll like he'll like the um you know, if it delivers in the same way, you deliver a top 10, top 5 type talent, he'll get over it mighty quick if he gets a Larry O'Brien trophy. Okay, next question comes from Eric who asks we're running a little long, so I'm going to paraphrase on this one. Eric asks, basically, uh, does it make more sense to get a third team involved in any Harden-type deal? Again, I talked a lot about Harden. December 27th episode. Let's talk about the James Harden rumors. I also organized these questions before the Laker game. I'm telling you, the timber host, the whole pitch of the questions would have changed a great deal. Um, but Eric suggests adding the Minnesota Timberwolves in a trade and getting Carl Anthony Towns to Houston and... and um, and Harden to Portland, a whole bunch of a treasure trove of picks to Minnesota. And to that, I say, why in the F would the Timberwolves trade a 26-year-old Carl uh, Anthony Towns under contract for three more seasons to get draft picks, hoping that they draft someone as good as Carl Anthony Towns? It just... It, the, they're not in a win now mode and they're sort of not in tear it down mode. And if they are in tear it down mode, you tear it down and try to build around towns. I don't, I can't see a situation where Minnesota gets involved there. Next question comes from chin dog at chin underscore dog on Twitter who asks, are these potential hardened trades in any way good? I know Portland has the highest density strip clubs. Okay. I'm just ignoring the hardened stuff. James Harden doesn't want to go to Casa Diablo y'all. He wants to go to a place with bottle service and a VIP velvet rope. That's not what this city has. These jo- these strip club jokes are good, but he's not going to go to Sassy's with y'all. That's not what he's going to be doing. He's a he's a he's a man who lives grew up in Los Angeles, lives in the fourth largest city in America. He's used to a different type of nightlife that Portland is not offering. So if he comes here, it won't be because he enjoys going to Acropolis and ordering an $8 steak or whatever. Next question comes from Tim, who asks, what's the what's Blazers Marvel team? And Tim, I ran a little long, so I was going to spend more time on this when I planned it out, but I got excited. We're like 45 minutes into a mailbag. I'm amped up. So here's here are the Blazers as Marvel characters. Dame is Iron Man. He's the leader. He's got all the moves. He, um, you know, he's... He's at times willing to sacrifice for this team, and and he can be, um, you know, and he's he's great with the media. Iron Man, known, um, quick witted, indeed. Uh, CJ is War Machine. He is a, a valuable, trusted sidekick, but man, does he duplicate a lot of Iron Man's talents. Nurk is Thor. He's big. He's got a. Guess he's he's attractive, like the whichever Helmsworth brother that is. But when he doesn't have his hammer. He's kind of whack and mopey. You know how Nurk can be. He needs that hammer. And then he plays like Thor. Spider-Man is Ant. He's young. He's interesting. But he kind of seems superfluous when you put him next to all the other dudes in Marvel. Doctor Strange is mellow. He has sagely wisdom of a man who's traveled through several times and sort of lives outside of time itself. Also, seems like he might uh, play some bad games intentionally in order to win some games down the line. Um, This analogy isn't as strong as I wanted it to be, but I imagine that uh, those of you who like Marvel more can help me out. Gary Trent Jr. is Black Widow. 
He doesn't really have superpowers, but he can really shoot it. Much like Black Widow is like just a KGB spy who gets to hang out with these folks, has cool technology, Gary Trent Jr. doesn't have a lot in his bag, but boy howdy can he shoot it. His skill is being good at shooting. And Star-Lord is Cantor. He's corny. He's got great dance moves. And he's not particularly useful when he's not doing what he's best at. That's your Blazers Marvel team. It, that ended up meaner than I wanted it to be, but, um, you know, most of the Marvel dudes win and they're all superheroes, so being any level of superhero is cool. Next question comes from Spokeland at Brutal Telling on Twitter, who asks, Former Hollywood star Neil Olshay drafted C.J. Ellaby with the goal of deceiving the Rockets to mistakenly trade Harden for Ellaby, a la the Marshawn slash Dylan Brooks trade fiasco. Would this be an all-time great Blazers conspiracy surpassing Festus's plaid shirt photo? So yeah, this was um, Gary... Evan Turner signed a his contract, and in the background of the Evan Turner photographs, there was a man wearing a plaid shirt, and that man was Festus Azili. And it was all the speculation, and it turned out that he was for sure Festus Azili. Festus Azili, who never played a single game for the Blazers, and uh, got $9 million because of it. Shout out to my man Festus. Um, yeah, I would, I would note that the Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks, trade fiasco did not go down because of the confusion over the names on somebody's end. So the CJ LB for CJ McCollum thing might be a little bit tricky. Could be a little tricky to pull off because the other one didn't work either. But yeah, I love this theory. I love this theory, Spokeland. That's definitely why Neil did it. Next question, Neil deGrasse Olshay at Justin underscore B underscore leak on Twitter who asks, what's your non-Seattle pick for an expansion team? It's going to be Vancouver. I would say Vancouver and Las Vegas are, are, are two, three for me. Seattle, obviously the easy number one Vancouver. Um, they, they're, it's a, it's a large enough metropolis. Um, Canada loves hoops. Like the Raptors have a whole boatload of fans. And certainly some of those fans, Raptor fans live on the West coast in British Columbia. Uh, it would be cool to reignite some sort of Northwest rivalry. Um, I think it would be great. And uh, California doesn't need any more teams. Sorry, San Diego. Uh, Vegas, it's just a city that could, it, it, they can have professional sports in whatever they want. It's, it's a sneaky big city. Um, they've done really well with hockey. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I, I'm not sure how the COVID football team is doing, but I imagine they're relatively popular. Um, so yeah, I, Vegas and Vancouver, but I'll go Vancouver. And the last question of the show comes from Seth Allen at Seth Ball on Twitter and host of the wonderful podcast, Asphill. Check that out wherever you already get podcasts. And Seth asks, if you had one wish, what would it be? I would wish for a solution to the globe's environmental problems. Less global catastrophes means less people displaced by the changing climate. It means it allows us to focus on uh, fixing other non-climate solutions, but it also would offer a solution to so many of our things like air travel and food supply, the global food chain, uh, the sort of global consumerism chain that is also impacted uh, by the climate crisis. So uh, if I had one wish, I'd either be 6'4 with a ratchet or I'd solve the climate crisis facing our planet. Actually, you know what, Seth? I know that at one point in high school you could dunk. So maybe my one wish is that I could dunk.
Sorry, climate crisis, but I just want to I just want to slam one time. I'm five eight. No, I'm I'm earnest. I'm earnestly um solving the the global climate crisis. That would be that's my that's my just one wish. And that's my just one episode. I think this is the longest mailbag we've ever done. But there were a lot of questions and I wanted to get to all y'all. We do this each week. If this is your first time joining us, we're going to do it next Monday, posting the episode on Tuesday. Tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com to get involved. Like I said earlier, Jason Quick joining the show tomorrow. Be sure to check your feeds Wednesday morning for that one. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.